Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with GBAO. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls, driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. I'm so glad you're here, Kristen. I mean, we're not here together, but I'm so glad you're here on the show. Yeah, so I don't know. Did we say at the end of last week's show that there was a chance I was going to be gone for five weeks? I mean, I think we mentioned it, but I don't know if we mentioned it last week. So I think I I I wasn't going to happen. I was kind of in denial. I, I won't tell like the whole saga, but basically I got a summons for grand jury duty. Five-week commitment in D.C. You have to go every day, 8.30 to 5. They take your phone from you. You go to the U.S. Attorney's Office, and you're, like, locked in a room for most of the day. Um, So I show up to report. I've, like, I'm dreading this. It's going to be disastrous for my career. It's going to be a whole hot mess of everything. But it's also your civic duty. So I show up at the courthouse, and the grand jury supervisor clerk lady gets up and is like, Hello, welcome. You're here for Grand Jury uh, 5. Grand Jury 5 in D.C. handles homicides and major crimes. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, my God. Um, But then she said, you know, hey, at least you're not on Grand Jury 1, which is sexual assault and crimes involving children. And we were like, yes. Okay. (laughs) Actually, we're feeling like we won today because we're not that Grand Jury. This is Um, also the world's worst polling question. Which would you prefer? Which would you rather do? Serve five weeks looking at murder evidence or five weeks uh, issuing indictments in sexual assault and cases involving children? Um. So we, so then she says, okay, anybody who has a medical hardship, anybody who has like a hardship letter. And then like, it turned out that they just had too many people there. So about half of us, the lucky ones, um, I, I was, I won't go into the whole story, but I was one of the lucky ones that they converted into a pettit juror, which is just the one day, one trial system here in DC. So you go down the hall to get in that line and everyone else in that line is miserable because they're like, oh, I'm here for jury duty. And me and all my like grand juror refugees, we're all like, I'm walking on sunshine. (laughs) Five day trial. Sign me up. That sounds great. Um, And then I did not even get put on a trial for that. So I'm I'm here. Um, I, I had. I had purchased a bunch of books. I got Ronan Farrow's book and I got the Amaryllis Fox book that I was planning to read during the, you can't have your phone and you're locked in a room, but you're not doing anything downtime. Now I will just like have to to read read it it at at my house. I've been listening to the Ronan Farrow book and it is incredible. It's really, really incredible. Well, I am relieved that you're here because I was like five weeks. I mean, you know, the impact on me was obviously smaller, but I was like, what am I going to do? Am I going to have to like send emails to a bunch of people to be on it? I can, you know, maybe Patrick should be on it. Maybe like all, you know, my various pollster friends should be on it. I'm like, well, maybe this will be just like the Margie's guns, abortion and baking show, you know, for five weeks, or maybe I'll like do something else during that time. I don't know. And I hadn't really worked it all out. And then by the time I was just resigned myself to you being away for five weeks, you said you were back. So I'm very happy that you're back. Well, I'm excited to be here and we've got a lot of exciting polling to get through. Yeah. Um, This week's top lines, we've got the Bernie bump in New Hampshire. Is it really a big bump or are we reading too much into one poll? Uh, We will dive into a little bit of that. Impeachment numbers seem to be holding steady, but we've got some fresh data digging in on exactly where people are coming down on things like the Trump administration's decision to not comply with the inquiry. 
And then we got him. The United States takes out the world's number one terrorist. Um, we will take a look at any polling around the president's foreign policy decisions regarding Syria, but also a look back at how the killing of Osama bin Laden affected or didn't affect uh, Barack Obama's job approval ratings back then. So let's first dig into this Democratic primary. A couple new polls come out this week. Came out this week nationally. Um, you have the uh, Politico Morning Consult poll still showing Biden at 32, with Warren and Sanders both at 20. Economist YouGov also has Biden in the lead, although he has Warren much closer to him. He's 27, she's 23. Sanders trailing more distantly at 14. That looks somewhat similar to that Hill-Harris X poll. Um, Emerson as well has Biden up at 27, but then Sanders at 25. Remember, they use that unusual methodology that includes the mechanical Turk folks, which is why Yang always, I believe at least why Yang always tends to be a little higher there. He's at 4% nationally for Emerson. So there's not a ton of movement in the trend lines, but one of the biggest stories on the Dem primary side was this new poll coming out from CNN UNH that showed Bernie Sanders in, I say the lead in uh, New Hampshire, I should not say the lead because it is within the margin of error of Elizabeth Warren, who trails him only by three at 18, and then Biden at 15. So they're all fairly closely bunched when you consider the small sample size. But nonetheless, it's pretty good news if you're Bernie Sanders, because other polling that had come out about two weeks earlier had had him trailing Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden by certainly by the margin of error. Um, so this is, you know, I think there were a lot of questions. Was he going to take a hit in the polls after um, his, uh, I think it was a heart attack. Yes. Uh, it, it does not appear that that has necessarily been the case. Yeah. I mean, it, I guess it was neutralized by his appearance in a debate, perhaps. I, I, I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of ways to look at the numbers in New Hampshire and, um, and obviously I, you know, I, I wanted to chuckle when you said, or are we going to be overreacting to a single poll, which is like kind of usually the case. I mean, not us, but people <laughs> in general, like that's an evergreen. Everybody state. freak out. Freak out, right? Um, and I think there was a, you know, at one point a hypothesis that New Hampshire would be a place where it would be kind of Warren versus Sanders since they are New England candidates. And, you know, the fact that Biden is really kind of in a three-way tie with them you know, like you could look at that as a testament to Biden's strength, in, in, you know, in some way that he's kind of in the hunt or in this kind of a basically similar range as uh, Warren and Sanders at this stage. Um, you know, the Sanders numbers have been, you know, a little bit up and down in the New Hampshire polls where there's not quite as much polling, you know, on a regular basis. If you look at the national polls, um, you can see Sanders really being kind of exactly, you know, I've really been in a steady point for months now. Not a lot of fluctuation, really, in the scheme of things, in the national polling, given that the national polling is going to be, you know, a little volatile. But the bigger story nationally is how you have Biden and uh, Warren kind of meeting and being kind of tied and now diverging again with Biden a little bit, opening up a little bit of an advantage over uh, Warren. But again, these are, you know, these might be small fluctuations. So in the in other news of polling that's not moving a whole bunch, trends that are not changing a great deal, we have impeachment, 538's tracker still shows that in the aggregate, we have about 
51.2% of people saying that they would support um, beginning the impeachment process. This is just looking at questions around um, opening the inquiry. 42% say they don't support. When you look just at the polls asking should Trump be impeached or impeached and removed, um, support still remains the plurality position at 46 point, uh, 47.6% with don't support at 43.4%. Um, support for impeachment by party has leveled off among Democrats, seems to have slightly leveled off among independents, among Republicans has actually fallen by about a point um, as people sort of rush to their partisan corners. However, CBS has now asked a question about kind of the flip side of this, which is not what should Democrats do or should they open an inquiry? Should they pursue impeachment? Um, but what should the Trump administration's response be to the inquiry? And overwhelmingly, 63 to uh, 37, they say that the Trump administration should cooperate with the impeachment inquiry. So this raises the question, you know, on the one hand, the polls are pretty overwhelmingly showing that people don't think that the president's, the content of what we know about the president's phone call with the president of Ukraine People don't think that was appropriate. They don't think it was right. It's not what presidents should be doing, but had been much more divided on the question of, does that rise to the level of impeachment? Is it something that's illegal? Does it warrant removal from office? So I think Republicans had felt safer making this a fight over process. Um, however, I do think that a question like this, where 63% of people are saying, well, you should at least cooperate with the inquiry. If you're not cooperating at all, that does not seem to be putting you on the right side of public opinion. However, there's some other polling out there, Margie. Uh, I'm, I'm going to let you take this okay. one. <laughs> yeah, I have strong feelings um, about it. But I, mean, but I just wanted to touch, though, on this point about the process, too. I mean, there's a response to the Republican argument about process, right? The fact that there's now a public vote scheduled for tomorrow, which is Thursday. We're recording on Wednesday about impeachment in the House. It kind of neutralizes one of the arguments. You also have, you know... If you have a lot of folks testifying uh, about what they saw the president doing is wrong and their experience, like the lieutenant colonel who was, you know, in on the call with the president or uh, Bill Taylor and, you know, all the other folks who've been testifying. And, and on the other side, you have obstruction from the White House. It, you know, I don't I don't know if that really leaves the White House in a strong position. So, I, you know, I can see why making this about process there's a thought, I suppose, that it muddies the waters and, you know, makes it seem like Democrats are not being transparent. But then, you know, you have people testifying, you have people speaking publicly, you have Democrats taking a vote. So then I think it really neutralizes that in addition to now allowing more, having more information come forward. But I want to talk about this one question, because, you know, as we've been talking about impeachment and there have been lots of you know, themes of the different kinds of questions that have been out there, you know, are you talking about starting an inquiry? Are you talking about impeach and remove? Are you talking about some level of appropriateness? Is this appropriate or not appropriate? Um, this kind of new strain of questions about cooperation um, that, you know, Morning Consul has some questions about coverage, whether there was too much of it or if it was fair. Um, you know, these are things that poke at all the different kinds of areas that one wants to know. Um, and some outlets have some consistencies across outlets and some don't. But this, there were some new questions that came out that uh, were done by a Republican pollster who has worked with the president. This is uh, McLaughlin and Associates. And they asked a few questions that to me just are like so over the top in <laughs> how they're phrased. Uh, and, you know, 
it's fine. Obviously, people test messaging, and we've talked about that before. People test messaging so you can figure out what's a compelling thing to say. But these things are not portrayed as message testing. They're portrayed as like, we figured out the answer, and it's not set up as a, as a message test. It's not portrayed as a message test. And the wording is, well, let, I'm going to read it so people can hear for themselves. Um what it says. Here's a question. Historic precedent has always been that to begin an impeachment inquiry, the House of Representatives has always held a vote. Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats are now breaking with precedent to conduct a purely partisan impeachment. In your opinion, do you think that unless Speaker Pelosi and the Democrats hold a vote, the president is right not to cooperate with this inquiry? It's also confusing what a yes versus no means here. That's issue one. <laughs> issue two is that like the whole question? <laughs> I mean, issue two is like historic precedents and like Nancy Pelosi, and this is purely partisan in a way that you know it's phrasing that is obviously nothing about this is neutral. I mean, to have this question that is so obviously partisan to to label anyone else as purely partisan is kind of you know pot and kettle. And then even with all that, only forty seven percent say yes. You know, you put your like you put everything that you got out there. And you got to 47% yes. So I'm not even totally sure if, you know, people know what, what yes is supposed to mean here. The Washington Post called it the worst impeachment poll question yet. So I find this kind of, this kind of questioning, I mean, from a pollster who is like part of the kind of community, I mean, it just is why people don't trust the industry. I mean, I, I know I'm kind of going, going a little far here, but this is the kind of thing that makes people not trust pollsters, not trust the industry, not trust quote unquote issue polling. And I just find it like, it's just so obviously slanted and in a way that like, is you know, is not giving anybody good information. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes. And all of that. Um, yeah. I just look, the other thing to keep in mind is people, there, there is a difference between the polls that get publicly released and the polls that are kept internal. This, however, because this is coming from a pollster who works for the president and the president has been vocal and there have been stories written about how he does not particularly enjoy being presented with polling data that is tough for him. Um, I just wonder, is this quality of data what he is being given behind the scenes? Um, or is this like, a question that was tacked onto the end of a survey that was released with the intent of kind of being the like vaguely inflammatory, obviously like cooking the books kind of question that it is. Uh, that for me was the, just the, the thing. I was like, is this the kind of polling he's getting internally? Cause this is, this is one of the pollsters that, you know, after there was that split and there were a couple of the other pollsters who had been with the campaign who spun off to go work for the super PAC. Um, this pollster was one that was sticking around for the campaign. Um, so I just wonder, are the questions that we're not seeing, are they worded any better or are they also in this vein? And if so, why? Because a good strategist would know this is not particularly helpful. Right. I mean, you know, it, it doesn't do anybody a service to 
you know, give your client, let's just take it out of the, the context of impeachment and Trump, you know, just it's not good doing a good service, you know, to say, hey, I did a poll and I found everybody loves you. You know, you may, your client may be happy with you because it's easier to deliver good news than bad news. You know, people get kind of bummed when you give a presentation that's sobering. That's true. That's a real thing where you're like, here, we did a poll and, you know, there's no path. It's tough, you know there's challenges, et cetera, you know, it's makes room for growth, whatever those, you know, euphemisms are, it's easier when you show like really great numbers, right? So there may be a short-term gain to saying here, I found something really wonderful, but then you're surprised when the results are, you know, say something else and you don't make good decisions if you're making decisions about um, using numbers that are not real, um, you know, and then you're surprised to hear yourself booed so loudly in the, you know, ballpark or, you know, laughed at when you're speaking to, you know, world leaders because you don't have, you're not given accurate information. And never mind, on top of that, what happens when you release these kinds of numbers into the wild? It's not good for your own reputation as a pollster um, and, and it's not good for the industry. So I've had strong feelings about yes. this question. So I think I saw a poll that either you or someone else posted, I believe coming from the same pollster on the issue of vaping. Oh, was yeah. that you? Yes, that was also me. <laughs> I only saw it briefly. Do you care to uh, expand yeah, upon that for a it moment? Was like, it was like a single issue polling question that showed like 80% of vapors like are going to vote just based on vaping issues. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Got it. I mean... And it was like a battleground vape poll. Um, and uh, battleground vape. <laughs> with yeah, 2019, you're such a year. You're and I, and, and year. I found myself like looking in the tabs for a moment and I was like, okay, no, I need to close. <laughs> I was like, walk, away, tabs, walk away. I was like, the tabs are public. Let me, okay, no, I should, I, I have my own tabs to look at. I should not look at whatever it is. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I'm like a stack of tabs to look at. But, um, you know, it's, there is this, you know, reporters, when you try to like show them results of stuff, will say, oh, I don't believe single issue voting question, single issue voting question, like, okay, if, you know, all things being equal, or, you know, how important is this issue to how you're going to vote for a candidate? Is it one of the most or somewhat like basically trying to figure out who the single issue, but who's like, this is the only, this is the issue that I care about. I would not vote for somebody if I agree with them on anything, everything else, but not on this, then I'm not going to vote for them. And, you know, it's hard to get people to self-report that sometimes. And so we did something once on guns where we used a split sample thing. We didn't ask them sp explicitly about whether it mattered. We did a split sample test and we would see if there's a difference in how you would vote based on whether or not guns were in like a paragraph of other things. And, you know, the person who wrote that up said, oh, you know, usually these single issue questions are not good, but this one's different, right? But this one that McLaughlin did um, had, a, you know, it just said, like, how how important, like, how likely are you to vote, you know, to vote against somebody? I have to find it. I don't have it in front of me. Um, and it's it didn't make it a high bar. It made it a very low bar, I should say. And yeah. it just seems hard to believe that, like, there are that many single issue vaping voters. There was, uh, I how, was likely, at, how likely are you to vote for or against a candidate based solely on his or her position on nicotine vapor products and issues? I don't know. It just seems like a little okay. hard. Well, there was, uh, there was, I was digging through the, some polling archives recently and was trying to figure out, I was trying to figure out how big, big of a top issue is climate change for like a certain segment of the electorate. And I found a poll question that 
that Fox News is polling had asked back in September, which was trying to be instead of saying, like, what's your number one issue? It said it was an open ended question. And it said, are there is there any issue that for you would be a deal breaker if a candidate didn't agree with you on that issue? Like you you just you couldn't vote for them if you had a different position from them on on, you know, whatever the issue is. And it's the sort of question where, like, let's say an issue like abortion, an issue like abortion does not tend to be in the top five or even really top 10 of like what people say, oh, this is my top issue. But it does wind up being more of a deal breaker issue for some people. Um, and so on this poll, it found that the, the top three deal breakers were immigration, health care and guns, which immigration and health care, they tend to be the top issues in polling just generally these days anyway, but I, I was fascinated that guns was right up there next to, next to those two in that poll. So and did they of, break it out by party. Was it like a, as big of an issue for D's as ours? They or? did break it out by party. And I don't remember what the results were by party off the top of my head. Cool. I do know that climate change was one where there was obviously a big difference. Like I think it was like 5% of Democrats, but only 2% of Republicans said that like, right. climate change was a deal breaker for them. But anyhow, I digress. They did not have vaping as a category, as I, as I think the conclusion. No, <laughs> but it was, well, it was open-ended. Yes. So if there had been, if the vape, the vaping vote, vapey vote was a thing, uh, we, we would have known it would have popped up in that poll. But anyhow, yeah. I digress. Okay. All right. So let's take a break and then we'll come back and talk a little bit more about Trump. Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google career certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online, so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Okay, so we're back. And we're going to talk about Trump's approval, and then a little bit more specifically his approval on foreign policy. Um, it's, you know, I guess it's ticked up a hair from last week, or it's in kind of the same range, but... It's definitely lower than it's been still. So he's a 42.8% approve, 53.6% disapprove. So that approved number, you know, we've seen it in the 43 and 44% range. It's now in the 42% range. So that's something that's, you know, a little bit lower. But, you know, there was a Rasmussen poll that came out in the last couple of days. And so that tends to give him a bit of a give him a bit of a juice. Um, and, but it's still, you know, he's still not at his, his, he's not at his peak, but he's not at his lowest moment either. Yeah. And this is, you know, I'm taking a look now we've got further down in the script, um, Obama's approval rating, uh, around, uh, when Osama bin Laden was killed. We so we can see, you know, what is Barack Obama's approval rating before and after. And Osama bin Laden, let's see, the day that he was killed was May 2nd, 2011. So like a cup, like if at a not perfectly comparable place in the political cycle as we are now, but like a couple of months earlier. Um, so if you look back, you know, look a couple months after Osama bin Laden is killed, Barack Obama's job approval at that point in time was in the, you know, mid to low 40s. So kind of around where uh, Donald Trump's is now, which is why Republicans 
thought, oh, Barack Obama might be vulnerable. We might be able to beat him. And then ultimately we're not able to do so. And Mitt Romney did not become president. Um, so it is, I mean, it, Trump's job approval, not great, but also where not too far off, it looks to me from this chart, unless I'm reading it wrong, not too, too far off um, from where Obama's was at this point in his presidency. Of course, Obama's rebounded and always, you know, his job approval would fairly often, you know, be above 45, et cetera, whereas Trump's has never really been in that terrain. So Obama's always had a much higher ceiling, but this was kind of one of those low points when Republicans really thought Obama was vulnerable. Yeah. Um, yeah. When they looked like this, but this has just been like what Trump's have always looked like. Right. I mean, it, so, uh, and it's hard to know exactly like, you know, looking back to all of us, like where the exact moment of all of that movement was, but you know, he, he was in a stretch where he was more, there were higher disapproves than, um, then approved just, and then he had a bit of a bounce in his approval rating where, you know, he was in like the, in the fifties, um, but it then went back down. So, I mean, so it, I guess what we'll see is whether Trump can get a bounce from, you know, the, the, his recent announcement, given everything else that's happening, Obama's approval rating overall is, was more volatile in that there were times where he was more net approved and sometimes he was, he was underwater. Yeah. And so I, we, I can just skip to this chart then real quickly. Uh, we, we pulled up the Real Clear Politics chart of uh, Obama's job approval across the course of his presidency. And I believe Ryan, was, that, was this you, Marjorie, or was this Ryan who helpfully labeled the point yes. in time uh, at which bin Laden was killed? And it was um, his, so his job approval before that announcement had been pretty much even, um, you know, like a, it, I'm just eyeballing it, but it looked like a 47-47 kind of situation. Um, and it jumps and it winds up going to like a plus 10, uh, you know, 52, 42 situation once the news was released. Um, but then it, it looks like very, very quickly just sort of goes back to normal. So yeah. if the killing of Osama bin Laden, somebody who a ton of Americans had known about and had very deep emotional reaction and, to and thoughts about, um, if that was short lived, I suspect the al-Baghdadi I mean, if we're really like thinking about the political implications, it strikes me that it's unlikely it'll have a long, long, long term effect. Um, but I mean, it could be different. These presidents have very different relationships with their own polling data and how volatile things are. Maybe it'll move even less for Trump. But what about the tweet of the dog? Surely that was for a brief. brief this is second. the day he became president. <laughs> a brief, brief second. Everyone was like, OK, all right. You know, that's. I still want to know what the dog's name is. I'm this Class, is classified, classy, classy, the classified dog. Yeah, so great. Such um, a, I don't know if a good boy or girl. Joke I saw, but um, the and then you know everyone was tweeting their own like I've declassified you know my photo of yep oh wiggles or whatever he gets charged. <laughs> yeah posted some declassified Wally romping video so yes. yes so I have to say I did like the dog I that was my one. That was my one, you know, check for Trump since the teacher of the year from the first time from his first year in office. Those that's the last time I was like, okay, I support that. That's how I feel about the dog. The dog and then 2017 teacher of the year photo. That's it. Uh, two other things that I would just suggest. I am not here to advocate to try to win you over to the president side of things. That's not <laughs> what we do here, but I would suggest that the photo of the president standing there with all of the McDonald's food on the White House silver platters, I would say that ranks second behind the tweeting of the dog photo 
But also up there is, have you seen this video of the kids trick-or-treating at the White House yes. and the kid in the Minion costume yes. walks up? Yes. And he just puts the candy bar on top of the Minion's head? Yes. Oh, my God. This is <laughs> 2019. Such a year. Such a year. <laughs> I know. I Shannon Watts, who um, from Moms Demand Action, every time I was like tweeted that out. I was like, who thinks that this is how great kids put their candy, you know, on their, on their own. And then like Melania does it too. Like you can tell Melania knows like, this is not how this is supposed to go, but just kind of like gamely goes along with it and puts a second candy bar on the kid's head. I know. There's part of me that wants to just not have a feeling about these various small moments, you know, but I I do, I can't, you know, I can't help it. So um, anyway, so back to foreign policy polling. We've tried to to check in on this, given things that have been happening in the news. And it's, you know, it's not always foreign policy is a little bit, uh, I don't want to say it's a lagging indicator or sort of lagging news, but there's not usually quite as much public polling on this as we see with some of the other topics. So so there's something here, though, and, and we can talk about it. So Navigator, which is the work that I do um, with Global Strategy Group, um, our most recent Navigator has some questions in there and just kind of the climate questions. Who do you trust more, Democrats in Congress or Trump? And in that, there are, you know, on national security, uh, for example, where it depends on which party, but there's a slight advantage for Democrats over Trump, 47 to 43 percent on who you trust when it's asked about who do you trust more, Democrats in Congress or Republicans in Congress? Then more people trust Republicans in Congress than Democrats on national security, 39 to 44. It's not that big of a gap. It's a pretty, there's a gap between, you know, in both questions, but it's not massive given the kind of historic or, you know, at one point it was seen as more of a Republican area, a Republican strong suit. These differences are not, you know, that dramatic. Then there was also, uh, and I thought this was interesting, um, who do you trust more to handle two different versions of the question here, taking the right approach to U.S. foreign policy or making foreign policy that will keep the U.S. safe? So two different questions and they're split samples. And when it's asked about taking the right approach, more people trust Democrats in Congress than Trump, uh, 50 to 39. And when it's asked about making foreign policy that'll keep the U.S. safe, Democrats still have the advantage over Trump, but it's smaller, 46 to 42. Yeah, this is, I think, really, really, really interesting. Um, Even though it's a small difference, it's, you know, the right approach sort of connotes like, uh, like just overall strategic direction. And whereas the like, will you keep the United States safe is more about strength. And Trump has always tried to emphasize that characteristic, I think, a little bit more. So I'm, I was totally fascinated that that one um, came out on top for him, uh, but but also ultimately not surprised. I mean, it's a very small difference, but not surprised that it shook out that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, it didn't come on top for him. It was just he was trailing Democrats by a smaller margin on safety than he was mm-hmm. on taking the right approach. So then there's also some morning consult polling, political polling. I think this came out today um, on Syria. Well, I have a couple different questions um, on President Trump's choice to remove troops from northeastern Syria, where you have 37 percent say they support that and 40 percent say that they oppose that. So it's like it's pretty, 
it's pretty even. Um, and then another question that's fairly even, which of the following comes closest to your view? Like a forced choice question, the U.S. has been engaged in too many military conflicts in places like Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan for too long and should prioritize getting Americans out of harm's way. Or U.S. needs to keep troops in these places to help support our allies by terrorism, et cetera. So that's 43 to 40 on that question. And what was interesting about that is it, there's not that much of a difference by party. I mean, I want to say there's not that much. There's a difference by party, but it is not like as massive as you would see if you were asking about all kinds of different other issues. So among Democrats, 52% say we need to keep, you know, our troops in these regions. Among independents, it's 42% of plurality say we should get uh, these folks out of harm's way, 42 to 34. Among Republicans, it's a majority, 55% say, you know, we should get troops out of harm's way versus 32% keep in the region. I mean, it's interesting because obviously it's flipped than what we would see, have seen in years and decades past, that party difference is flipped, but it's still not like the wide chasm that you sometimes see on issues. Yeah, well, and this is to, you know, go back to 2016 for a little bit. I mean, Trump was the only person in the Republican field with the exception, I guess, of Rand Paul, um, who took the position that was much more like we need to get out of foreign wars, like the war in Iraq was a bad idea. Um, He's been very critical of, you know, the Bush administration over, over this for a long time. So in that sense, it doesn't really surprise me that, you know, as Trump has kind of begun reshaping the party, that it has started to look more like that, where, of course, you're going to have on the Democratic side, a lot of residual view that this was the wrong position that that has, you know, and has existed in the Democratic Party since the Bush administration era. But also, I mean, on this question of do you support or oppose the following President Trump's choice to remove troops from northern, northeast Syria, you know, 40 percent oppose. I mean, on almost anything Trump does, you're going to get about 40 percent oppose. Like that's his strong disapproval number. And so anything you ask is going to get around that amount. But I, I think this is an interesting wake-up call for Washington, uh, I don't want to say like Washington elites, but there, this is a, there's a pretty strong consensus inside D.C., even among a lot of Republican policymakers, that what the president did was bad foreign policy. It was, was bad and abandoned our allies and the Kurds. You know, there's been lots of, even from within the Republican Party, criticism of this issue. And I had been asking like, ooh, is this the sort of thing that could potentially, you know, hurt the president with his own party? Is it putting him at odds with where some of his voters are? Um, but then you see questions like this where the, you know, by a 43 to 40 margin, people are saying, no, we're, we're just in too many places. Get Americans out of harm's way. It's just, a, I think, a reminder that like, there are even some of these moments where, like, the, the entire Washington consensus, including many Republicans, goes against kind of what Trump has done. But then there is there is the rest of America. And sometimes he has tapped into things that the Washington consensus is on the wrong side of in terms of public opinion. I'm not talking I, 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 from my own foreign policy views are very different from the president's in a lot of ways. But I just, for me, you know, if you if you surveyed people in D.C., I suspect you would not have gotten a 43-40, let's get the troops out right. response. Right, right, right. Um, CNN also asked something. Uh, this is on Syria. Uh, do you approve or disapprove of Trump's decision to withdraw all U.S. troops from Syria? 42% approve, 50% disapprove. And then let's see, what is it among 
Republicans. Uh, well, let's among Trump approve, you know, Trump approve and disapprove. It's what you'd expect. Uh, there's no party breakout here. Do you think there was the United States has a responsibility to remain involved in the ongoing conflict in Syria? And then a majority say, yes. I mean, in two different questions, you know, you have folks, uh, you have more folks who say, we have a responsibility to may, remain involved, then approve of his decision to withdraw U.S. votes. Yes. So there's, you know, there's some consistency there. Yeah. And, and you could also hold the view that in general, the United States has troops too many places right. or that we not, ought not be the world's policemen. We ought to come home. But also that the very specific decision with regards to what he has done with the troops in northern Syria was is not the right implementation of that worldview. So you can absolutely hold those two views. Right. Um, yes. And, you know, being involved doesn't necessarily have to mean having troops there too as well. Right. And then Grinnell asked something. And so they did a poll um, that came out in the last week. And so they have a, they showed that a majority disapprove. So overall, his approval rating is 40, 50 in this poll, 40 approved, 50% disapprove. Those numbers are a little bit worse, or at least you probably have higher don't know. With decision on U.S. troops in Syria, you have 32 percent approved, so it's a little bit lower, and disapprove is the same, 51 percent. And it's one of the, you know, one of the tougher numbers he has here. His numbers are worse when the question is, as a role model, what, you know, how do you feel? Do you approve or disapprove of his job as being a role model? Those numbers are worse. But of the policy questions, that's the one that where he is rating a little bit lower. Okay, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the biggest story in Washington this week, the World Series. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups, it would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. Okay, we're back. So my long established position that baseball is boring, supported by none other than Anthony Rendon, Nationals All-Star, who says... Regular season baseball is boring. I got to say, playoff baseball, not only is it not boring, I actually don't know how people can live this way. <laughs> like, football stress is acute. It hits you for three hours. You watch your team fall apart, and then you, like, nurse your wound of the loss. Baseball, you are on edge every moment. Every swing of the bat, every pitch for hours and hours. And it is game seven tonight. We're taping this on Wednesday. And that means we've done this seven times. And then before that, there were series that also were, I mean, it is, this is a lot. This is emotionally a lot. Yeah. I feel like everybody in my office is like in, in some different place, which is, you know, 
world Nats fever. You know, that's like my whole office is sick with Nats fever and I somehow like didn't catch it. I'm like, what's wrong guys? What's happening? You know, like I'm sending emails about stuff and like the game's on, like I'm coming in and everybody's tired and wearing Nats clothes. I'm like, Hey, is there, is there something going on? <laughs> What's up, everybody? <laughs> That's me. So the last, so for game one, I was at a, a think tank gala and I was in a nationals red dress and the nationals were expecting to lose, uh, you know, or like, because the Astros are an extremely good baseball team. And so the initial expectation was that the Astros were going to pretty much like wipe the floor with the nationals. And then we won, we won game one. And it was like, oh man, this is great. Like I should wear like a fancy red dress every time we play. Ha ha ha. Then we'll win. So then, you know, the nationals, they won another one the next night. I went out to the park to watch it at the game watch games, three, four, and five. I was out of town. I was traveling, uh, didn't go to the park, didn't wear the fancy red dress, whatever. Loss, loss, loss. So then last night is AEI's gala, another think tank gala. I wear another red dress. And <laughs> Nationals win. So tonight I'm going to Nationals Park for this game watch. And I'm honestly thinking about like, okay, would I look like a, like a strange, weird, attention-seeking lunatic? If you wore a gala dress? If I up at the park in a gown. Or could I explain it to people as like, I just want... Uh, in case this is relevant, it's just for luck. Like, I feel like baseball people, baseball fans are strange enough that it'd be like, yeah, no, that makes total sense. You should yeah, absolutely. I mean, people are being very super, I mean Harry Anton, I it's been tweeted that he knew somebody who like brings his dog to the game. Team wins. So he brought, he went to Texas to watch the Astros. I'm sure I'm butchering something because I don't speak baseball, but like no, he brought okay. a stuffed animal of, that looks like his dog. <laughs> because yep. <laughs> he couldn't bring the dog with him to the game, you know? So, um, I mean, even when my husband and I watched a couple of minutes and, and of, you know, game five and it was not going well, Jules is like, we need to turn off because we haven't watched any of these other games and we're obviously bringing bad luck. I'm like, I don't think that's, I don't think that's a real thing, but okay. I'm perfectly happy to turn it off. So, um, so yeah, I think everybody's got these different like cross currents of superstition. It's like into like a big whirling ball of energy, big Nats energy. Big. <laughs> oh my God. Um, we have a poll. We have a poll. This is from DCist. And I didn't yeah. even know that this was a thing. Like, if you're watching the game at Nats Park, is it okay to stand the, uh, the whole time? And a majority, just a bare majority, said no. That's rude to stand the whole time. And 42% said, okay, if you can stand, you absolutely must. Otherwise, watch from home. And then 5%. Or in Margie land. What? Is there still baseball happening? <laughs> That's me. <laughs> so this, this poll was precipitated by a guy who he is somehow, he is known as bearded natitude. Ah. I, I don't know if that's like a persona. Like, is that just his social media name or is he, I don't know. Um, but some guy who he's like a prominent Nats fan, I guess, who got like told off by someone because during one of the World Series games, he was standing in the stands and the guy behind him was like, why are you standing? And he was like, because it's the World Series and it's exciting and we're all here to cheer for the team and you're, you're standing up and waving your towel around. And the guy like told him off. So this was trying to litigate that. And wow. it strikes me that people who are serious baseball fans, like... During a playoff game, would I would bet you if there were cross tabs of like 
how many Nationals games have you been to this year that people who are more diehard, devoted baseball people would be like, no, when it's the playoffs, when it's the World Series, you stand up, you put all your energy into it. This is not supposed to be a relaxing affair, like what have you. I imagine that this question would get even a more favorable, uh, don't stand the whole time response. If you were just talking about baseball in general, like I've been to Nats Park for like random, boring games in like, you know, since you green weather. Yeah. Yeah. In June. No, if the person in front of me is standing up, I'm going to be super annoyed about it, especially if they're standing up at like a non crucial moment. But playoff baseball is different because every moment is a crucial moment. So I kind of side with the, like, if you really want a relaxing experience, don't come to the park side of this debate. I think that I think I'm, I'm in favor of that. I'm like, everybody has to decide together, but the seats are slanted. You should be fine. Most cases you should be fine. Okay. So moving on to Halloween, which is the the other thing that's happening this week, which is basically like, uh, the World Series of Candy for Every Child in America. <laughs> and our friends at NRF, we haven't done an NRF poll in a while, holiday poll in a while, um, but they did a survey of the like top costumes for children, adults, and pets, of course. And I love that this list, the, you know, I, I mean, I don't know if these needed other categories or there's lots of there's lots of different, you know, costumes that are not that don't make it in the top 10 because the top ones get like nine percent, basically eight or nine percent. The top one for kids is princess followed by just superhero and then Spider-Man and then Avengers, excluding Spider-Man. Batman, I guess, is not part of superhero. I mean, there's a variety of like answer category things happening here, which ghost vampire frozen. And that's like everybody in Frozen is a category and pirate at the bottom. And adults, what I thought was interesting, it's not a surprise to me that zombies on the list for adults, but it's kind of funny that like cat is on the list for adults. There's no animal on the list for children, but cat is on the list for adults. I don't know what's making that. Is it because cat, like something like cat or witch is easier to throw together as an adult if you've like realized at the last I guess what I'm wondering is like for kids is more effort put into the costume, but for adults, sometimes it's an afterthought or you're busy or whatever. So it's more like, what can I cobble together last minute? So something like a cat, like you just get ears and you yeah, maybe on eyeliner and you're done. I don't know. Halloween is really big for the, you know, city of Tacoma Park. We have like a big parade that always has like political themes things in it you know there's like a mom and dad who were like have printouts of like the ukraine call report you know and it says paper trail and they have like a toddler with a whistle it's like whistle blow you know every, that's that's how to come apart rolls like it's it's full you know wonderfully wacky self um and then i go to this party in the neighborhood that like people you have to go like really bold like everybody wears like really big costumes really like elaborate costumes it's hard to just go as like bumblebee or cat or a zombie unless you've like put a little bit of work into it. But, uh, but I'm funny. It's funny that like Spider-Man is the top for adults. That's, I mean, that's in the top 10 for adults, which I find kind of funny. Um, Beckett was Spider-Man 
and there's like a contest in the Tacoma Park Parade. And he's like, I need to go. I need I need to win. And I was like, because I want to break it to mine. There are 150 spider kids here. <laughs> There's no way <laughs> you're you are cracking the top 10 <laughs> in any way. But I was like, okay, let's go find the person who's the judge for sure. <laughs> anyway, and then as I was doing my groups this week, I was sort of like showing YouTube videos and like on the YouTube video, like on the side, it was like, for you, you know, covering your spooky cake with fondant and, you know, buying a shark hat, you know, <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> these things are not, <laughs> like, it was like a little too much information about me, like, flying in through my, through my laptop as I was doing groups. And it was all like kids Halloween related. Well, I, I have a costume and it is, I got, I have a costume for Wally. Ah, um, as a pumpkin or as a, or as a cat? (laughs) No, he's going to be, it's a, it's from a beloved movie franchise. And that's all I'm going to say. Fair enough. You know me, it shouldn't be hard to figure out which beloved movie franchise, sci-fi movie, science, fantasy, space opera movie franchise it is. Um, but it's pretty good. I've actually put effort into it this year. Excellent. I'm, I'm excited. So keep stay tuned to the Twitter and our Instagram for the big reveal tomorrow. Fantastic. Well, hopefully we don't have too much rain or that more Wally gets motivated to be out there. Um, okay. <laughs> Key findings. Good luck, Nats fans. I guess tonight's I'm pretty sure it's the end. So hopefully it works out well for the city and all that good stuff. And this Halloween reminder. Candy is good, but some questions are truly scary. You can find us on Twitter at, at the pollsters, individually at, at Margie O'Mero and at Casoltis Anderson on Facebook and at www.thepolsters.com. Thanks. Bye.